It is good to be back before you again this evening. Appreciate your presence here. We're very thankful that we live in a country that allows us to be able to gather without fear of persecution, at least at this time. Many people do not understand what the church is, but as members of the body of Christ, we understand what the church is. Oftentimes you'll hear a phrase, well, we're going to church, which we understand what that means. We know it means we're going down to the church building. But a lot of people in our world today do not understand the church. But of all people, we should understand it and understand it fully. And tonight we're going to look at some things that the church stands for. And when I say the church, I'm talking about its members. And of course we know that's what the word church means, the called out. The Greek word is ekklesia, which means called out. We're called out from the world to be God's people. God has always wanted his people not only to be obedient, but to separate themselves from sin. In his dealing with the children of Israel, that was one of the things that he wanted. He wanted them to separate themselves from the nations that were around them. He wanted them to be separate from the idolatry, from the paganistic practices that were going on. And many of the paganistic practices were very horrible, very, very ugly. To the point that some of the people were even offering their own children as human sacrifices. Now that's hard for us to imagine, but it happened. But the church today is still God's called out people. We are God's chosen people, not the idea of predestination where God has predestinated us to be his children. Although he knows all things, from the beginning he was aware of all the people who would render obedience unto the gospel and all those who would not. But yet God does not force us to serve him. There are those who believe that God had chosen certain ones before the foundation of the world to be saved and others to be lost. But that's not what the Bible teaches. But the church is predestined. In other words, it was prophesied in the beginning the fact that God would establish his church. Christ said, I will build my church. And then the fulfillment of that prophecy, as we see in uh, Acts, the second chapter, we see many prophecies, Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, and other prophecies concerning the coming of the church. And it was fulfilled. That prophecy was fulfilled. So we are God's called out. Jesus only built one church. We find that there is only one body, and therefore when we render obedience unto the gospel, we are added to that one body. Therefore, we have a responsibility to represent God and to represent his word. And that's what we are. We're representatives of God's word. And as uh, Sister Janice made a comment in class this morning, we may be the only Bible that some people read. So therefore, we are to be the proper examples to the world. I was saddened when, of course, like many people, of the situation that happened with Matthew Winkler. But what saddened me as much was when Rubel Shelley had the opportunity to stand up for the church and he did not. There are many who do not stand up for the church anymore, rather 
they ridicule it. But tonight we're going to look at some things that will, without a doubt, show what we as God's children are to do with our lives and how, we're conduct, how we conduct ourselves as his children. Many in the world today do not understand how to interpret God's word. And that's where a lot of confusion comes in. That's where denomination, denominationalism has come from, an improper understanding of God's word and oftentimes the perversion of that word for ulterior motives. But when we look at God's word, we find the church and we find what the church does. As a collective body, we see what we are to do in helping others to come to know the truth. So therefore, we are representatives of God's truth. Therefore, knowing the truth is essential. I will not have time to cover all that we could cover at this point, but we're going to look at a, a few that I think are very important, especially today. The first one is that we stand for a pattern. I think we all know what a pattern is. As a matter of fact, I have an uncle that at one time was a pattern maker. Ladies who have sewn clothes or materials understand what a pattern is. And of course, often uh, many of us men understand that too because I can remember my grandmother and my mother using patterns to make clothing. We understand what patterns are. It is something that is to be followed in order to reproduce what the pattern represents. The truth is to be taught continually. It is repetitious. It is not to be changed in any way. If you will, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. When we look at God's command not to change His Word, we find it from Old Testament to New Testament. Unfortunately, there are those in the world today who feel that they can change God's Word and that's okay with God. But after we read some of these verses, ask yourself, is that really the truth? In chapter 32, uh, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 32, it says, Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live and that it may be well with you and that ye may prolong your days in the land, land which ye shall possess. Now does that sound like the Israelites had the opportunity to just do what they want to and it'd be okay with God? Not at all. We know that when God gave Moses the instructions to build the tabernacle, the pattern, they were to go exactly by what God said. They did not have the right to change that. Unfortunately, with the law of Christ, as some people rather prefer to say the law of Christ rather than New Testament, they feel that those types of restraints or requirements were done away with. Not so. Even under New Testament, the New Testament, we find that we're to follow what was taught. Very plainly, turn to Acts the second chapter. On the day of Pentecost, when the church was established, the people were there, gathered. 
for the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem were thousands and thousands of people, different nationalities of Jews coming as they had been commanded to do. That's why they were in Jerusalem. They had been commanded to do it, and they were following what God had said. But in Acts, the second chapter, in verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, the apostles were the ones who spent the most time with Christ personally. They were there with him day in and day out most of the time. And Christ taught them many things. And even though Christ was going to be crucified and leave this earth, he told them that the Holy Spirit would come and guide them into all truth, John 16, 13. So what they had received from the Lord and from the Holy Spirit, they were to teach. Matthew, the 28th chapter, in verse 20. 19 and 20 where it says, And teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. They did not have the right to teach anything else. So when we know that something is to be followed as the original, it's a pattern. That's not a hard stretch to make. In Romans, the 16th chapter, as Paul writes to the brethren at Rome, and, of course, the sixth chapter is, is a very important chapter. Oftentimes we go there talking about baptism. But it's interesting what Paul says about what they did. Look at verse 17, Romans six seventeen. He says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Form means the same thing as pattern. They obeyed from the heart what they had been taught. What were they taught? They were taught what the apostles were taught. The apostles were inspired men, receiving their teaching from the Lord personally, from the Holy Spirit personally. And here Paul, being an inspired apostle, tells the Roman brethren that they obeyed from the heart the form that what was delivered to them. Was error delivered to them? Absolutely not. Oftentimes people do not understand that the apostles had authority. Oftentimes they think that the apostles went off on their own and taught whatever they wanted. I have read articles and read statements where uh, one man made the statement that Paul and Peter disagreed with each other. And Paul and Christ disagreed with each other. Now, I'm not the smartest person around. But I can tell you that that would be a contradiction in truth. You can't have it both ways. And if the apostles were doing something wrong, they would have been corrected, and they were. Remember when Paul withstood Peter to his face? And God lets us know about that, doesn't he? So the apostles couldn't just teach what they wanted to. They had to teach what they had been taught. And here Paul says that these brethren had obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered unto them. That says something about those brethren. It said they obeyed from the heart. They had the desire to follow that which was true. Today, some people just want to follow something, follow anything, as long as it sounds good, as long as it feels good. We're all familiar with that term. If it feels good, do it. 
Well, there are a lot of things that feel good that are not good for us. You know, it feels good maybe to sit down with a bowl of ice cream and start eating ice cream and then eat the whole half gallon or whatever it is. You know, it feels good to do that, but is it good for you? Absolutely not, especially if you have diabetes. <laughs> What's going to happen to your sugar? But we understand following the pattern. We understand the fact that these brethren were taught the truth and they were to pass it on. There are different verses in the scripture. A lot of times people will try to go to one verse and prove their belief. But you know, when it comes to truth, God has given us many verses on any of the subjects. Turn to 2 Timothy, the first chapter. Look at verse 13. As Paul writes to Timothy, what does he say? What, what are the instructions to Timothy from Paul? He says, hold fast the form. There's that word again. Form of what? Whatever you want. That form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, first of all, there's a form of sound words. Second of all, he says that uh, Timothy has heard that form of sound words from him. When Paul told Timothy, he said, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, with all, and exhort with all long suffering. Did that mean that Timothy could go out and preach what he wanted to? Paul told him to preach the word. You know, that means preach the word. Peter said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So does that sound like that we can just do what we want? There is a pattern. We're to follow that pattern. There are even members of the Lord's body today who deny that there is a pattern to follow. There's no pattern. There's no perfect New Testament church to follow. Well, God never told us that there was a perfect New Testament church. Now, I'm going to tell you, the institution of the Lord's church and the church itself is perfect. It's the people who are at fault. But yet, those who want to change our minds and open up the doors to whatever goes, they will try to twist the words like that and say, there's no perfect New Testament church to follow. What should we follow? Should we follow the examples of Ananias and Sapphira and, and their lying? Well, you know, most of us are smart enough to know that somebody's trying to, you know, pull our leg on that. Make that sound like something very important. That's nothing. But for the person that doesn't understand the truth that may be weak in their understanding, that sounds pretty good. So therefore, if we can open up the doors to whatever, we open up the doors to whatever. If there's no authority for something and we take liberty and do it anyway, why stop there? We can do a lot of other things too. Do we ever really find that in God's word? Absolutely not. When we look at the pattern, we look at the fact that we are supposed to be of the same mind. Turn to 1 Corinthians. This chapter Paul deals with writing to the uh, church at Corinth. He's writing because there's some problems at the church at Corinth. 
the brethren there had begun to have divisions because one person would say, well, I was baptized by Peter. Another person would say, well, I was baptized by Paul, or I was baptized by Christ. And they were trying to make themselves somebody by saying that they were baptized by somebody important. Notice what Paul says. He said in verse 10, beginning verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now there's either a pattern or there's not. There's no in-between. When we find that there is a pattern to follow, then those who are saying there is no pattern, it's not hard to realize that they've gone off course. They're off base. He goes on to say, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Why were there contentions? Because they were not of the same mind. Now, Paul is talking about of the same mind here. He's talking about doctrinally. He is saying that they're not believing, one group is believing one truth and another group is believing another truth. He says, now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I am of Cephas, which is Peter, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. He is addressing the fact that they were separated in their understanding of the truth. This reminds me of a question that was asked just recently I saw in dealing with baptism and uh, the person who would actually be doing the baptism. Whether it mattered about the person who actually put someone under. And one answer referred to what Paul was talking about here. The fact that these people, these brethren, were holding themselves up as somebody because some were baptized by Peter and so on and so forth. So there was an ego problem there. But truth tells us that we're to be of the same mind. We're to be of the same mind, not only in doctrine, but in what we believe in general about what is right and what is wrong. And of course, right and wrong, uh, of course, truth is uh, to be understood correctly. And we have to understand that we're to come together as one in believing what God has taught. So the idea that there is no pattern can be shown that there is a pattern by what we do and what we teach. And we do it every time we gather. We're an example of that. When we come together and we follow the scripture, we're showing that pattern. So therefore, we need to show the world that there is a pattern. We also, as the church, need to show that the Bible is the authority. There have been many manuals written over the centuries for people to go by in their religious service to God. 
we find that the Bible is the only thing that we're to go by when it comes to doctrine. Yes, we have different things written, and it's not wrong to read something that's written by somebody that may help us understand a little more clearly what the Scriptures teach. Because as I made, I brought up the example this morning about Philip and the eunuch. And Philip goes to the eunuch and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, not unless somebody helps me. You know, I've had to, help, uh, I've had to have people help me understand certain things. So we all need help, but yet it's not that we're necessarily relying on man. We're still relying on the Word of God. But how many times have we read something in the Bible and then read it over and over, and then we see it a little bit differently? Or somebody points out something to us, and we go, hey, I understand that better now. But we are to show people today that the Bible is God's authority. Uh, I don't know where I read the fact that there was a survey done among religious ministers. And I think the question was asked in a way such as, do you believe that the Bible is totally inspired of God? And I was really surprised at the answer. The majority, there was only like about 80% that said yes. So if that was correct, or even in the neighborhood, you've got people out there who are saying that they're ministers of God and taking his word and saying, well, it's not completely inspired. Some people say, well, part of the Bible is inspired and part of it's not. Well, I'd like to know which parts are inspired so I can make sure I follow those. <laughs> but that's man's interjection into God's territory. He is saying that, well, part of this is God. Now, what kind of God would give us a word that's partly inspired and part of it not? But we show that this is God's word. Many people today, I would think, in our society at least, don't know much about the Bible at all. How many of you watch Jeopardy? And oftentimes they'll have the Bible category on there. And I think Jeff Foxworthy has come out with a new program, uh, trying to think of the name of it, uh, uh, dealing with Bible questions and Bible answers. Oftentimes on Jeopardy, people will avoid the Bible category. <laughs> Why? Well, the answer is obvious. They don't know much about it. It should never be said that a member of the Lord's church doesn't know anything about the Bible. As we looked at this morning, our responsibility for studying and understanding the Scriptures and the work that it takes to do that. It takes diligent study. It takes continual study. But the Bible is God's Word. As Jesus says, Matthew 4, 4, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word out that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now that says one thing about man's ability to understand correctly. God would not give us something if we could not understand it. Why would he waste his time? Why would he waste our time? That's like asking a child and expecting a child to do something that would be totally impossible for him to do or her. The doctrine of men are to be rejected. Turn to Mark, the seventh chapter. And Jesus oftentimes talked about the way man is, his heart, his thoughts. And in Mark 7, he makes a very 
a very important statement. Mark 7, verse 7. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments for men. Also look at verse 9. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. As he was speaking to the Jewish people, Jewish leaders, he oftentimes told them about their inability to follow God's law, inability on self-will, not that they didn't have the ability to follow God's law, but they wanted to follow their own traditions. Jesus would oftentimes tell them that he'd make statements such as, you have heard it said, as compared to, it is written. You have heard it said. What, what happened there? Oral tradition. And we know what happens when things get passed down orally. How many of you have ever played that game to where you have several people and one person whispers into the ear of the other person and they're to pass it around? And by the time it gets around, it is totally different. <laughs> you know, you start out, well, one man went down to the city, gets all the way back around. 110 people were in, in the country of Austria. <laughs> it gets so blown out of proportion because people change things. Not saying they do it intentionally. There's a case in some times they do it intentionally. But Jesus makes a very good point. He says you reject the commandment of God. We have people today rejecting the commandments of God. But if you ask them that, they would say, no, I'm not rejecting the commandments of God. That's like people outside that go about their daily lives that could care less about serving God. We know that Jesus said if you're not with him, you're against him. If you don't serve God, you're serving Satan. But if you were to go to those people and say, did you know you're serving Satan? They'd say, what are you talking about? I'm not serving Satan. They don't think they are, but they are by not serving God. So Jesus talks about the commandments of men being taught for truth. And that's what happens when you have these manuals and these handbooks and these creeds that the leadership of a particular religious group will give to their members and say this is what we go by well we're going to have to refer to the manual on that are they talking about the bible absolutely not we have to convince people that this is the authority and the authority alone not some list of rules that men have gotten together and, uh, and produced and presented to their people as rules to go by. So we are to show the Bible as God's authority. Also, and for, for most of the people in Christianity, this is not really hard to get them to understand but in the fact of what we just talked about really following what the Bible talks about that the authority is in Christ now there are some people who do not accept Christ as the Messiah the Jews are one group that do not accept Christ as the Messiah the people who are uh, members or who uh, are Islamic do not take Christ as the Lord and Savior they might agree, well, he was a real person, he was a good person, he was maybe a, a prophet just like Muhammad or Buddha or someone like that, but he certainly wasn't the son of God. We have to stand 
and not be ashamed to say Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God, the only begotten Son. People have tried to change the Word of God to make Christ less than what He is by changing Isaiah 7.14 and by taking words out like only begotten, trying to bring Christ a little lower than what He is and what He deserves. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians. When we look at the book of Ephesians, usually when we go to uh, these verses, uh, verses 21 and 22, we're usually showing uh, the fact, the uh, harmony that Christ is the, the body, he's the church. But we want to look at what Paul says about Christ himself here, how he describes Christ. Beginning in verse 21, talking about Christ, he's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all the things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You know, oftentimes we talk about the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God. Christ is right there. Christ is a member of the Godhead. And there are those who want to try to make Christ less than what he is. God's word does not do that. We show that Christ has authority. What does Matthew 28, 18 say? Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. All, not part, but all authority. I sometimes wonder if we really, really think about how much that means to us as members of the body of Christ. I hope we think about it a lot because we are to follow Christ. You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, was Paul saying follow him? No, he was saying that in his life he's following Christ. So follow him as he follows Christ. So Christ is who we follow. He has the authority. What does John say in the very first verse of John 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Turn over to John. Let's look at that for a minute. And I know that some of you will uh, know what I, I'm going for here. When, And it goes back to what I said about people changing what Christ is or who he is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Does your Bible have that? Mine doesn't either, but I know a Bible that does. What does that say? They have changed it to bring and make Christ just another God. It's called the New World Translation. It is the Bible of the Jehovah Witnesses. They have changed God's word, brought Christ down from where he's They do not believe that he was in the beginning. They believe that Christ is a created being. I always found that interesting because let's look at verse 2 and 3. 
The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in essence, what they're saying is Christ created himself. Because the Bible tells us that Christ created all things. Well, if Christ is a created being, then he had to create himself. No, it's not what the Bible teaches. But yet they have changed that. I was speaking to a couple of Jehovah Witnesses one time, and I was discussing this, and they said, and talked about Christ being in, you know, who's uh, made our Savior before the foundation of the world, and talking about him being in heaven and all this. They said, well, that was just in God's mind. That was just in prospect. That was just an idea. <laughs> I said, I don't think so. I think the Word says that uh, the Word was God and that all things were created by Him. So therefore, Christ would have had to create Himself in order for their doctrine to be right. People try to take that authority away from Christ. And then the last one we want to look at as the church, some things that the church we should stand for is the preaching of the simple gospel. And maybe that's the problem with some people. It's too simple. They think religion is supposed to be complicated and, and some kind of mystique to go along with it. I think that's why people like the book of Revelation and other books like Ezekiel. There's some mystique there. There's mystery. The gospel is very simple and very plain. What did Paul say in Romans 1.16? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is that? Why wasn't Paul ashamed of it? Because of what the gospel is and what it does. He says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We should never be ashamed of the gospel. I understand that there's a time and place to speak up. But we should never be intimidated to where when we have the opportunity in the right setting that we should be ashamed to talk about the simple gospel. And to give you an example, you, if you were in a setting and there's a lot of chaos and things going on, a lot of activity and all, that probably wouldn't be the best time to try to talk to somebody about the gospel. Why? Because you want their undivided attention. But when we get the opportunity... We ought to be able to speak without being ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it, and we shouldn't be either. When we look at the gospel, the things that are connected with that, the gospel, the word gospel means good news. What's the good news? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He came up out of that tomb. So therefore, when we obey the gospel, and especially in baptism, we emulate what Christ did. We go down into the water. We come up out of the water to walk in the newness of life. Christ died, was raised to walk in the newness of life. It's not complicated, but so many people reject baptism in that gospel plan. They fight hard. They'll fight tooth and nail to say baptism has nothing to do with salvation. But we should never back down from that. Now, if you're talking with a stranger, that might not be the best place to start. <laughs> you know, I've made the mistake of starting at the wrong place when discussing things with people. It's going to happen because you don't really know what they know. You might start out thinking they've got a tremendous amount of Bible knowledge. They might not. You might start out thinking they don't know anything about the Bible and they may can outquote you. <laughs> 
but we should never be ashamed of the gospel. We should always preach the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Obeying the things that we've been commanded to do. We can find throughout the scriptures where we are to hear the word. We're to believe the word. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We're to repent. We're to confess. We're to be baptized. We can find scripture for every bit of that. It's not something that we made up. We didn't just get up one morning and decide we were going to make up a plan of salvation and say, well, here it is. Now, some people have done that. Some people have tried to come up with their own way to spiritual enlightenment, spiritual eternity, uh, separate from what God has taught. And Paul even told the, the Jewish, his Jewish brethren, he says, that you have tried to set yourself apart and have your own way in salvation. Turn to Romans the 10th chapter. That was the problem. They were rejecting what Christ had said. They were rejecting what had been brought to them and they were wanting to establish their own way of righteousness. Look at 10 verse 2 and 3. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That happens today. It happened back then, and it happens today. But we should never be ashamed to stand up for the gospel. The question that I have for you this evening is, have you rendered obedience unto this simple gospel that God has presented in His Word? Hearing, believing, Repenting, confessing, and being baptized for the remission of your sins. Have you done that? If not, then you stand outside the body of Christ. What Paul say in Romans 12, verses 12 and 13, that we're baptized into one body. So therefore, if you have not been baptized, you're not in the one body. You can change that tonight by submitting your life to God in obedience to the gospel. Pray that you'll do that as God's child. Maybe your life hasn't been quite right. Maybe there's some things that need to be corrected in a public way. Hope that you'll do that. If there's some things that need to be corrected in a private way, hope that you'll do that. Because, you know, we, even though we're children of God, members of the Lord's body, you know, we don't have our ticket punched. And we can lose our souls if we have sin and we don't repent of that sin and correct it and serve God correctly. That should always be something that we think of think of in serving God is to do it where we don't have to be in that situation. But if you have need to respond to the invitation this evening, we pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.